Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Well, this morning on this uh, Memorial Weekend, we are traveling through uh, the book of Acts, and um, we are now... Uh, probably five Sundays away from finishing Acts. We've traveled through it off and on throughout the last year. Have you guys enjoyed the book of Acts on Sunday morning? Because we're, because we're now we're having to figure out and dialogue uh, what this, starting in the summertime at some point, what our next year of teaching, what books, what topics, because we like to map it out for a year so we know what's coming. And uh, so pray, if you remember, just to pray that we, we pick the right ones for Sunday morning um, uh, to teach and um, to bless you. And, uh, and if you hang out at New Beginnings, hopefully we, we're teaching the Bible Sundays, Tuesdays, midweek, Wednesday for the teenager. We want you to learn this Bible. We want you to grow in the Word of God. Put up that verse for me, Joshua 1.8. This is the verse that I'm having you all um, read each week currently, and then we'll, I think this will be our last day of it, and then we'll move to a new verse next Sunday morning, but would you please read this with me out loud? I'll count to three, and then everyone read it out loud with me. Would you do that? Amen to that? Okay, one, two, three. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so you'll be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Now, we've gone through this, and this is really quick now, because we're going to cover it all, but this is the first, put it back up for me, Reggie, please. I I really need it. Uh, Thank you. But this is the first time anyone in the history of mankind had the actual written word, and they were going to be governed by it, and that's Joshua. God tells Joshua this book of the law um, that Moses has received from God you're to, you're to speak it you're to think it and you're to do it and you're to do everything that's in it don't water it down don't well I feel like that's not for today don't do any of those things and if you do everything that's written in there if you're speaking it thinking it and doing it he says then something's going to happen in your life and that's for all of us He says, you're going to make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Anyone like prosperity or success? Raise your hand. The rest of you do not like it. I'll just take that for that. Now, let me give you the definitions of these words, prosperity and success, so you understand it. To be prosperous, uh, it's the idea, according to the lexicon, Hebrew lexicon, is like going through a river. So there's water all around you. But within the idea is the Spirit of God falling upon a person. So if you're speaking it, thinking it, and doing it, everything in there, the Spirit of God is like water falling all over you. Anyone like that right there? I like that a lot. But then the word prosperous, I'm sorry, uh, success. Success means that if you do these things, that you're going to be wise and you're going to be prudent. So think about what, is, what he's telling Joshua. And Joshua, by the way, is a, he's taken over the reins of the leadership of the nation from Moses. Moses stayed up on Mount Nebo, and he watches him cross. And Joshua now is the main leader. He's been in process and training for 40 years. And he says, Joshua, it's very important now because you're going in there, you're going to take the land. You're the guy. And so you got to speak it, you got to think it, you got to do it. And the Spirit of God will be splashing all over you, and you will have wisdom at every turn in your life. It will be a very good life, Joshua. Anybody want all those things? Say amen to me right now. 
Yeah, me too. So here we go. We're going to talk today about faithful follower dash faithful God. Now, in any um, relationship, and we all know what I'm going to say right now is true. We all know it. Uh, faithfulness is one of the key uh, elements of a good, healthy relationship. Correct? I mean, you have to be faithful to each other. If one or both are unfaithful to each other, you're going to have problems. It's going to, be, it's going to fall apart pretty quickly. Now, when it comes to God, it is no different. God is faithful to us. And by the way, in the New Testament, Paul writes, he said that when we are faithless, God is faithful because he cannot deny himself. What a great statement that God cannot change his character. It's who he is. He is faithful to us even when we're faithless. But in that relationship with God, he is faithful to have faithful God to us but we're to be faithful back to him, amen? And that's one of the harder parts in our life at times to stay faithful to our living God. And by the way, God knows if we're being unfaithful, right? He knows when we're just playing games. He can read our hearts. He knows what's, he knows our heart better than we know our heart. And he just knows these things. And so, you know, being faithful to God is something that God is very aware whether we're doing it or not. Let me, let me tell you, and you can't fool God. About two weeks ago, maybe three, I was, um, we're in the parking lot. I was saying bye. Um, my three, three, yeah, three of my granddaughters were, no, two of my granddaughters were here. I think it was just two of them. It was Willa and her sister Scotty. Willa is going to be four. Scotty's about almost two and a half. And how many know little kids that age, they love candy. Anybody know that for a fact, right? They, they love candy. And so, they're in there and they were both given candy and Willa the older one she ate hers and she grabbed Scotty's candy away from Scotty now how many know at that moment the world is melting at that moment it is a massive meltdown Scotty's having a, a, a fit and, and, and how many granddads in this room granddads I call, they call me granddaddy how many of you know you know the answer to the situation right if anybody has the insight the intellect the experience the knowledge the know-how how to fix the situation it's granddaddy does he not and the answer to a lack of candy is more candy that's right and so I knew exactly what to do for Scotty. I said, wait, guys, I have candy in my office. Let me go get candy. Now, I go get candy. I come back. Now, I'm not no dummy, but let me preface it. Let me do a parenthetical statement before I give you the rest. Willa, the older one, has now come to the place in life where I say, do you love granddaddy? And she goes, no, and then she laughs. And now she has taught Scotty, her sister, Scotty, you love granddaddy, two and a half, no, and she laughs. And now it's gotten so bad, I walked into the lobby this last week, and Scotty's walking out, because Will is in preschool over here, and I'm there, I'm saying I'm Scotty, and I'm there. Scotty walks toward me like this. I go, really, really? So now that you understand that, I come out with more candy. But granddaddy's no fool, because granddaddy wants a I love you back to granddaddy, right? So I hold the candy up, I go, who loves granddaddy? Well, I will, I do, I do, Scott, I do, I do, only because they want candy, right? So I give them the candy, and then this happens. I'm here, and here's the car, they're in there, Will is here, Scott the other side, Olivia, my wife, is right here. Willa, the almost four-year-old, she says to Olivia, my wife, she calls her Gigi. Gigi, come here, I want to tell you something. And Gigi leans in, because Willa wants to whisper it. 
And she whispers something in Olivia's ear after I've given the candy, after they said, I love you. And she told Gigi this, let's just pretend we love granddaddy. How many feel my pain right now? I mean, you know, I'm thinking to my, and, and it's bad granddads, I, I, I'm going to spill my heart. I, granddads, how many of you know when, you know, when you guys buy something for the grandkids, the, they all think that your wife bought it, right? They think you have no part of the whole transaction, huh? How many feel like that's a ripoff right there? So I make an announcement. I say, your granddaddy paid for that right there, okay? Just so everybody knows and gets that one down right now, all right? Because they think I'm not doing anything in the relationship whatsoever. But she says, she says, let's pretend we love granddaddy. I couldn't believe it. Now, thank, you know, Olivia told me what she said, you know, because I can't read the lips. But you can fool granddaddy. But you can't fool God, right? You can't pretend that you love God. You can't pretend that your heart is sold out to God. You can't pretend you're a follower of God. You just can't pretend it because God knows. And so today we want to look at this whole follower, uh, follower of Christ and faithful God back to us because our God is faithful. And the way I want to do this is within this context. And I always want to give you a context because in chapter 23, as I read it and read it and read it and read it, I thought, okay, this is what seems to be jumping out of, the, of this page. Is that Paul, um, who is a New Testament writer, he's a guy, in case you're brand new to Christianity, he hated Christians, he was a murderer of Christians, he did not believe in Jesus, he did not believe Jesus rose from the dead, didn't believe in any of it, and he was killing Christians to exterminate this new cult, so he thought it was. Then he has an experience with the resurrected Jesus Christ, and he's not in the Gospels, he's outside the Gospels, his life changes, he's a highly intellectual man, and he begins to plant churches and spread the Gospel. This guy now, at this juncture in Acts, and Acts is the Acts of the Apostles, he has come back to Jerusalem, and everything has gone wrong, right? Have you followed it? Everything's gone wrong in Jerusalem. He goes into the temple, pays some money for a certain sacrifice for people. They accuse him of bringing these guys into the holy place. He didn't do that. Of course, they make up, they make up charges on him and they try to get him and stuff like that. You know, that's the way people in power do things. And so then they grab him. They've grabbed him. They've dragged him. They beat him now. After they make up the charges on him, they beat him. He's rescued by Roman soldiers because he is Roman citizen also besides being Jewish. And so because he is a citizen of Rome, citizenship carries rights because of Rome and now all citizens carry certain privileges and rights, any citizen of the country. And so they save him. But I want you to think about this. Paul has been um, very faithful in following Jesus. Let me take it a step further and get zero in. Paul has been faithful to do what he believes that Jesus has told him to do, correct? And everything's gone wrong. There has been no success. There has been nothing that's gone right. For him, the whole success thing would be that people are coming to Jesus Christ because he lives for it. But nobody's done that. And so there comes this moment in time as, as he's been arrested because remember he tried to preach to everybody and then they really got mad at him when he said resurrection. And so now there's this moment in time where Jesus is going to come along and he's going to talk to him. He's going to speak words to him. 
Because Paul has experienced massive failure. Guys, listen, listen. Because if you're young, listen. Listen to us older people because we got experience. But us older people, we know this for a fact. Isn't it weird or isn't it true that you can start off very positive in life, great outlook, and then life can beat you down and you lose your positive outlook? Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. This is, rare, this is where the rubber meets the road in life. Isn't it true, some of us in this room, that we've experienced a failure or a non-success period of life and we begin to define our entire life according to that little frame of life? Anybody know what I'm talking about? And that's a lie too. Because you do not define your entire life by a moment in time. I have had so many failures in my life I have tried so many things in church that didn't work out. If you've been here all this time, you know. I've tried stuff. It's, I, I mean, I've gone through things. Things have happened that were out of my control that made things worse. Gone through periods where, you know, and every senior pastor knows this because you want things to grow. Gone through periods where non-growth could be for a year, two years, and then boom, starts to grow again. Why? I don't know. I don't know. But it's those plateau years you're wondering, okay, God, what's going on? So I know these feelings, but so do you in every part of your life. You know what it feels like. And so there are specific moments in time that God has to come and encourage you. Any amens? Because we all need it. We all need it at times. And in this chapter, that's exactly what Jesus is going to do. And so what we're going to do is we're going to read the first 10 verses of Acts 23. And I'm going to do quick commentary. Then I'm going to give you the three ways that Jesus encourages Paul who has not experienced any success in this certain season of his life and he's been locked up in jail and will be locked up in jail for two years of his life now and so Jesus has to come along and um, and cheer the guy up and you'll see why I use the word cheer up in, in, a little bit later on but Acts Acts 23 here we go uh, we're going to do uh, 10 verses and then we'll get into the points Paul looking intently at the council. Now, quickly, the council is what's called the Sanhedrin, okay? There's 71 member council. They're like the Jewish Supreme Court. He said, Brethren, I have lived my life with a perfectly good conscience before God up to this day. He says, I have really lived according to God's law. Now, when he says, Brethren, to the council, question those of you who know this, some of you are going to learn this now. Was Paul ever a member of that council? Yes, he was. Before he became a Christian, he was a member of that council. And so, does he know them? Say yes. Do they know him? Say yes. So they know he's his brethren. They know each other. So this is a big deal in the, in the story, in the text. Verse 2. The high priest Ananias commanded those standing beside him to strike him on the mouth. So then they slap him. They whack him on the mouth. And this is Ananias, the current high priest, who said to do that. Why would he do that? Because Paul said, I've lived perfectly good conscience, blameless before God up to now. Well, they think he's a blasphemer because he proclaims Jesus as God in the flesh, the resurrected Christ. So they hit him in, in, in this informal court hearing. They strike him. Watch what Paul does. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Is that a cool line or what? <laughs> I love that line. I just love that line. I'll tell you why. He says, and here's what he says. Here's the logic behind it. Great logic. Do you sit to try me according to the law and in violation of the law order me to be struck? Now, first, let's get to whitewashed tomb. Then let's get to his logic in the statement. 
Whitewashed tomb. Why does he call him that? Because in that day, during Passover season, if you and I were coming to Jerusalem for Passover and all men had to come to Jerusalem three times a year for certain three certain celebrations, Passover one, they're coming. What the people uh, in Jerusalem would do is because if you've ever been there, you see the tombs are above ground, correct? And so to make sure that no one would defile themselves coming to Passover, they'd repaint at an earlier time, all the tombs, a fresh white coat of paint so everybody would know there's death inside there. Don't touch it because if you do, you defile yourself. You are unclean. You cannot partake of Passover. It's a very logical, smart move. And so when Paul says, he calls them you whitewashed tombs, what's he saying? He's saying you look really good on the outside, but there's what on the inside? It's death and decay. You know, you're just a facade. You're not the real deal because of the way you're acting right now. Now, in that verse, he says to them, that same verse, he says, you sit there and try me according to the law and in violation of the law, you have me hit? You hit me? Here's what he's saying. He says, you sit there and use this law of God to try me, to try to convict me, but as you use the law to convict me, you break the law and have me hit in this courtroom. He says, and basically saying, you're just a bunch of hypocrites. You're only using the law for your own purpose. You bend it any which way you want to. This is, and this is not the right way to do things. Now, verse four. But the bystander said, here's people's rebuttal to Paul once he says that to them. Do you revile God's high priest? In other words, you're just disrespecting the high priest. Ananias, the guy, high priest, ordered Paul to be hit. He says, you just disrespected him. Now, watch what Paul says. And Paul said, I was not aware, brethren, that he was a high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. What an awesome moment. Now, first off, how come Paul doesn't know that Ananias is the high priest? How is that? Well, one possibility, these are all possibilities. Paul's been gone for 20 years. High priest changes. He doesn't know that's him. Secondly, high priest, it's an informal hearing. He's probably not wearing his formal robe, so he doesn't know that's the new high priest. And thirdly, people think sometimes, because of certain things Paul says in the New Testament, that Paul's eyesight is bad, so he doesn't recognize Ananias, if indeed he knew Ananias. We don't know what it is, which it is, but we know that Paul didn't know that was the high priest. But notice what he said. He quickly, once he's corrected by someone, says, you can't talk that way to the high priest. He says, I'm sorry. I'm, you know, you're right. Because the word of God says, do not speak evil of a person in high position. Now notice how fast he turns it and he humbles himself to calm the situation. Wouldn't that be great if we did that in marriage? Wouldn't that be great if one of you just said, I'm gonna humble myself. And I'm going to apologize. And it can't be the same person in the marriage every time. Because that's just control now. But what if one of you just said, you know, I'm sorry. And humbled yourself. That's what he did. He chose to do that. And you can only do that if you're an, a, a very secure person. Any amens? Amen. Insecure people cannot apologize. Insecure people cannot humble themselves because it gnaws at their insides because of the insecurity. Let's move on. That's not my message today. But because I'll just go off, okay? And you guys know that, so. 
verse 6. But perceiving that one group were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, Paul began crying out in the the council, Brethren, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. I am on trial for the hope and the resurrection of the dead. Now, stop right there. What's going on? Paul now realizes because they'll violate the law, they'll try him according to the law, but they'll violate the law and strike him. Does he now know that he will not get a fair trial? Yes, because they'll violate their own law. They'll change it all, you know, because it's like today. But he says, so he perceives and he realizes there's this group of Sanhedrin, there's two kind of religious factions in this group. There's Pharisees and Sadducees. Pharisees believe in resurrection, afterlife, and angels. Do Sadducees? No, they don't. They don't believe in any of that. And so now because he understands it and he sees it, he's going to play them and he inserts the words, I'm on trial for the hope and resurrection of the dead. Pharisees believe in resurrection. Sadducees don't. So now, boom, he hits them and let's see what they do. Verse seven. As he said this, there occurred a dissension between the Pharisees and Sadducees and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor an angel, nor a spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. And there occurred a great uproar and some of the scribes of the Pharisaic party stood up and began to argue heatedly saying, we find nothing wrong with this man. Suppose a spirit or an angel has spoken to him and as a great dissension was developing, the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them and ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. So Paul causes the riot. He says, resurrection, and they divide, and they start arguing, and they got to get Paul out of there to save his life because the riot's beginning. It's a smart move by Paul because he knows he's not going to get a fair trial at all. Now, with that said, Paul has tried everything in Jerusalem during that season and nothing has gone right. You must assume now by what Jesus will say in the next verse that Paul is a little bit down. He's tried and he's failed. And so here comes Jesus. We faithfully follow him. Things are not going the way we thought. We're kind of losing steam, kind of getting down. How does God cheer us up? How does God do that? Well, the same way Jesus comes along and cheers up Paul, I'm going to give you three things today, and then I'm going to break them down so hopefully you can apply them in your life. So, first, number one, our faithful God cheers us up by speaking to us. He speaks to us. Now look at verse 11. We'll use verse 11 for points one and two, so this is the only time I'm going to read it. But on the night immediately following, the Lord stood at his side and said, the Lord is Jesus. He says, take courage, for as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, you must witness at Rome also. He says, take courage. I mean, be of good cheer. Cheer up. So does Jesus speak to him? Yes or no? Okay. Yeah, he does. Do words carry power? I don't have to guess. I just know because in any room I can say some of us due to words we've all had words spoken to us 
that really built us up and made us feel better about ourselves, right? But most of us probably have had words spoken to us that really hurt us and cut us down deep, right? Words are powerful. The writer in Proverbs, Solomon, he says, life and death are in the power of the, of the tongue. You can create life in people, bless. You can say good things to people, build them up. Or you can destroy people by your words. Am I right? Words are powerful. That's why it's called the word of God. It's powerful. Very powerful. Some of us in this room, the, just some of the, you've had it where, and hopefully nobody, but there might be. You've been there where this person you entered into matrimony with and they vowed, they promised, I love you, I'll love you forever. So many years later, I hate you, I don't want to be around you. In fact, I found somebody else. And it cut you deep because words hurt. Because words hurt. Paul's down. Some of you are down. I've been down. I'm in a good season now. Doesn't mean I won't be down next year through something. Words are important. Jesus comes along and he tells Paul, be of good courage. Cheer up. Cheer up. Now let me tell you how it works. Hey guys, I wasn't gonna do this, but um, can you guys kick on these lights on the floor? I feel like walking around. I haven't done it since I sprained. Remember I sprained my ligament knee last year? And I so you remember that, huh? No. So, yeah, they cheered. Oh, yeah, you sprained it. Yes. Okay. So the word of God, I, I appreciate the word of God, and so do you, correct? I mean, I've had many times in my life where I've gone through seasons, and I hold on to that word of God. Certain scriptures have carried me through certain seasons of my life. How many know what I'm talking about? I mean, you hold on to it with your life, right? with your life but let me let me expand further um, I've also had um, moments maybe about five maybe six over the 43 years I've been a Christian or I've had a, a fellow Christian who I don't know or I don't know that well at all and they don't really know me they come up and they pray for me and they speak a word to me and that word is so specific. And that word is so clear. And I'm thinking to myself, how could they have known that? How could they have known these specific things about me that only me, my wife, and God know? How could they have known? And I mean, they're so specific. And you say, well, I don't know about that. Well, just back up to chapter 9 of Acts where Paul, when he first meets Jesus in the resurrection, Jesus says, go and wait at this house a guy named Ananias a different Ananias he's going to come and share some words with you so don't tell me these things don't happen it's in scripture and if they're in scripture they're in scripture guys and I've had some specific words spoken to me that just lifted me up and pulled me out of situations the situation didn't change but it pulled me emotionally out of that downer that I was in anybody know what I mean now I've got to give you a balanced statement on that because I have run into a handful of people over the 40 some years I've been a Christian 
who are always, and let me back up, and that's why every so often I'll bring a Robert Mosbach in because I want you prayed for, I want a word given to you, I want you to experience that. But the danger of it is this, and I've only seen a handful in my life, that there are some people, they travel every other week over here, they give words, and that guy gives words, I'm gonna go over here, and I go, look, you don't need a word from somebody every other week or once a month. Any amen? amen? You got the word of God, all right? That's the word. These words that are given to you by someone are, are rare, and it's when God knows that you just need to hear it or it needs to confirm something to you that you might be struggling with. But those have helped me so much. God speaks. Jesus speaks to us. Any amens on that? Amen. I mean, this is a big, big deal. Now, Jesus speaks to us. Let me, um, let me give you uh, some... Oh, by the way, how many have ever sat and uh, just been still before God and this is kind of your devotional practice and God drops thoughts in your mind that really help you out anyone yeah isn't that something now why does that happen because the spirit of God lives in the follower of Christ and since the spirit of God lives in us doesn't it make sense it's just a short travel to get into my head right I mean my mind is Holy Spirit user friendly and it makes sense and God can drop thoughts in my mind he's done it many times for me he's done it many times for you now the question I would ask if I am you is how do I know it's God or just me or the devil right or the pepperoni pizza with jalapenos I ate the night before because how do I know how do I know well one of the simplest dumbest goofiest illustrations that here's the first thing you need to understand because this is where we get confused how many have ever seen the movie that animated movie the prince of egypt anyone ever seen that movie? raise your raise your hand that's it really wow please tell me you saw that over gods and kings because gods and kings that moses movie had nothing to do with exodus whatsoever but this animated movie it's a great great movie with great music and, and they did a really good job and i'm not even an animated movie guy but it was really good Val Kilmer played Moses and when he goes up to the burning bush and God speaks to him through the burning bush do you know whose voice they used for God in that movie Val Kilmer's that was a very smart move you know why because little secret is when God drops thoughts in your mind who does God sound like in your mind ourself he sounds like us. That's why we think it's, it's just me. Well, it sounds like you, but it may not be you dropping that thought in there. Well, Jim, well, how do I know? You measure it by the word of God, right? You measure it by God's word. That's why you study the word for the rest of your life. Otherwise, you'll, you'll run willy-nilly everywhere. And so God speaks in here. He drops these thoughts, and he'll do it regularly if you allow him to. Take the time to listen to it. He'll drop them in there. Sounds like you. Weigh it by the word of God. But when you and I are going through stuff, especially when we need some God speaks, he will do that if you just give him the time and let him do it. Amen? So the first thing we see is he speaks to him. The second thing is this, and man, I need to hurry up here, don't I? Now, the second thing Jesus does is he stands with us. Paul, not only does Jesus speak to Paul, but he stands with him because it's said there that Jesus was there standing with him. Now, how does... How does this all work that, um, that, uh, that Jesus is standing with us? Okay, let me explain this. This is a growth step of faith. 
if you come to church once every four months, don't read your Bible, this won't work for you whatsoever. You're going to fall to the problem every time. But it's a growth step. Nobody can convince me there is no God. I guarantee it, nobody could. Because the night that I got saved, I gave my life to Christ, my life changed like that. Anybody know what I mean? I was sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and now it's Holy Ghost fire the next second. How could that happen? How could that happen? And I've never taken my foot off the pedal. I knew in a moment of time something happened here. I couldn't explain it in the moment. I knew I gave my life to Christ. So no one's going to talk me out of it. I also know that, you've heard me say, science points to the existence of a creator, right? I'm not going to go down that road, but science now points that way. So I can go that way too. I also know that the way scholars, historians do history, how do we know George Washington really exists? The same methodology used for that is the same methodology used to prove that Jesus really did come, he really did die on a cross, he really was buried, and he really did rise from the dead. It's the same, same way you do both. And so I know that Jesus rose from the dead. I know he came. I know he's a God-man. I know all that. But here's the thing. What gets in the way of my faith when I'm going through up and down times or when things aren't really operating or I'm not achieving success or whatever you want to, what gets in the way? I'll tell you what gets in the way. Our emotions, correct? Too many of us live by our emotions when we need to live by, a faith, by faith in those moments. Any amens? That's what you've got to remember, right? You got to, because we'll operate in the emotional. Do you know that most people who walk away from God for a time or the rest of their life, they walk away for emotional reasons, not theological reasons? Did you know that? That's a proven fact. People live within their emotions. Whenever I talk to somebody and they ask me questions, I always listen for something because I'm listening for this. Well, I feel and I think, there it is right there. There's the problem right there. I feel you and I don't live by what we feel. We live by what we believe God says, right? Okay, so one day, Jesus, uh, this, remember, he's standing with us. So I know all these things, but how do I know Jesus is with me? It's a growth, it's a maturity step. Now that I know he exists, I believe in Jesus, but I've got to grow now. One day, Jesus is talking about worry and anxiety. Anybody know what worry and anxiety is? Be honest, okay? Some of us stressed out. We live in anxiety and worry all the time. You don't need to put things in your body, okay? You need more of Christ. And you need to talk about those things inside of you that stress so much. All those things that you feel inside. Get it out. Talk it out. But Jesus one day says, if you have stress and anxiety and worry, here's what I want you to do. And it was so profound and so simple. Look at the birds. What? He says, look at the birds. He goes, look at them. Look how great they're clothed. Look at, do you, they don't stress out about food. You ever, anybody ever seen a stressed out bird? <laughs> Up on the wire going, man, I'm stressed. I don't know if I get any food today. <laughs> no, it's a very profound truth. He says, God takes all care of them. And he says, are you not worth much more than they? And he makes distinction that we are the, the creation of God. Everything else is way below us, Right? You could prove that in Genesis uh, creation record on day six. Now, he says, they don't stress, they don't worry. 
he says and here's what he's here's what he actually means he's giving them a truth god takes care of you god is there with you ah so in other words that's the truth but that truth should overcome and, and, and defeat worry and anxiety, right? Truth affects emotions if we believe truth, correct? Correct. Okay, so, yes, I do know there's a God. No one's going to talk me out of it. I do know science points to some kind of a creator. I do know historically that Jesus rose from the dead, that he did exist. But when I go through these scenes like that, now my maturity, my study of the word, my growth, my fellowship attendance, all these things, they kick in now, and I'm going to go with what it says versus what I feel. Any amens? See, that's how it works. That I know that I know that I know put the verse up what Jesus say Matthew 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 put that verse up watch this read it with me one two three all together go therefore and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit now watch teaching them come on guys to observe all that I command you and lo I am with you always even to the end of the day does he ever leave us he's always there that's a maturity step. That's a growth step. I know. I know he's with me. And it doesn't matter what I feel. And it doesn't matter if I think differently. He's always with me, right? The New Testament writer Hebrews says he never leaves us and he never forsakes us. That's what I know. And I believe that over what I feel. Now, I need to drill down quick and then I have to move quick. There is somebody in this room, more than somebody, I grew up, and I, I wasn't going to put this in there, but I wrote it in. I thought, you know, I need to go out at this. I grew up with tremendous, deep feelings of abandonment and rejection. Does anyone know what that feels like? Raise your hand. I want to know who are my cronies. Raise your hand, because there's a lot of us in America. I grew up with those feelings. Very insecure. And I'm a type A personality. So it's really rubbed inside the wrong way. And so you, you always feel like oh, people are going to leave you, they're going to walk away from you. Or you're in a marriage and you don't speak up, you just go along with the program because you're afraid they're going to leave or get mad at you. Or you push people away because you'd rather push them away because eventually they're going to reject you anyway. So I better push them away before they push me away. Anybody? Anybody? Yeah, okay. That's fear of abandonment. And there's many more symptoms to it. Now, when you struggle with the fear of abandonment, you take that fear of abandonment issue that you learned growing up somewhere, you take that face, you put it on faces in the present, but you also put it on who? On God. He's not going to be there for me. I feel He's not going to be there. And it's a lie. And it's a lie. I struggled with that for decades. I worked through it, talked it out, worked through it, talked it out, worked through it, talked it out, got it out of my system where that emotion does not control me anymore. But it was hard work and it took time. And through the power of the Spirit, I got that one I got free from. I got free from. And some of us in this room, whenever things kind of flatten out not going right this and that those old feelings kick in and you start thinking those feelings are the truth they are not the truth the truth is God is always with you the truth is God never leaves you 
The truth is God walks right next to you, wherever you go, wherever you go. And number three, and I gotta move quick now. Number three, what does he do for Paul? He encourages us to keep going. Jesus now encourages us to keep going. That's what he did for Paul. Now, Acts 23, 11 says this. Watch this. It says, but on the night immediately following, this is the next verse, the Lord stood at his side, so there he is, and said, take courage, for as you solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must also witness at Rome. Come on, at Rome also. Mm, okay, now, so he says, okay, Paul, 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 come on, come on. Here, here's the deal. I know you, you, you're not experiencing success, but here's what I'm going to tell you to do. What you're going to do now is we're going to send you to Rome and you're going to witness there also. Now, here's a cool, cool thing about that verse. That if you went back from chapter 23 and went back to chapter 9 of Acts, do you remember when Paul first became a Christian? Do you remember the first thing Ananias told him and gave him a word from God? Remember what he told him? One of the things was he told him was, you're going to witness to kings. Ah, so some, sometimes in our life, instead of getting a new word and a new word and a new word, go back to the old word that God spoke to us a long time ago. Any amens? Because it's the old word that's still there. It's still in operation that God will use and to remind us that it's not over right now. You still got all this to do in your life. Any amens? You need the old word. I've leaned on those old words many times in my life. God said this. Every time something major breaks in this church, I tell myself, God, it was your idea, not mine. So you gotta, you gotta provide the money for that. That's a lot of money to fix that thing and to replace that thing. I remind him that you're the one who told me, okay, God? This is not my pressure. I'm not gonna carry the pressure, okay? So I always go back on old words. Times I felt like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I go back to old words. God said, no, you will be a senior pastor. I go back to those old words. God said that, so I stay there. Now, when God tells Paul, we're not done, Paul. You're gonna go to Rome. And he's going to go witness. You know what king he's going to witness to? Nero. He's going to witness to Nero. We've all heard Nero. So um, what's he doing? He's giving him a new assignment, is he not? But it really is an old assignment, but he's refreshing him. But it's a new assignment. When it's not going good, when there's a, like, I'm just stagnant if you just pay attention to God he'll give you a new assignment which will be the next assignment so I have a question it's the question I thought about the, the week as I'm reading over these notes uh, I type these messages up typically two to three weeks beforehand what's your reason for getting up in the morning let me rephrase that what's your God given assignment for getting up in the morning every He's given you the job. He told you this is the job you're going to go for. This is why you're going to go to school. He's told, but what's your God-given assignment within all of that? Because that's the reason that you get up. That's the reason that keeps you going every day. Without a God-given assignment, what's the point, right? Right? I mean, Elijah's stuck in a cave, Old Testament. He's depressed, and he is depressed. And what does God come and do? 
says, what are you doing in there? Get up and go do this and this and this and this. He gives him a new assignment. And Elijah gets up and goes. Some of us need new assignments. When, especially when you get in those ruts, you need the next assignment. You need a reason to get up and go and do and be what God wants you to be. I'm just weighing out whether I'm going to say this next thing because you know how I get sometimes. No, it's not that. It just might take time. So I'll do it quick. This is the reason why I do not see the logic. And I understand it's the world, it's fallen, it's darkened hearts, they don't get it, they don't understand God because you have to be born again to understand God's word. I don't understand the logic of taxing and taxing and taxing rich people and giving it to people who may not want to work. Anybody? How can you say that? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) Because it irritates some of you when I said that. Okay, let's pretend. Let's pretend you're you're 50-some years old, you're married. Some of you go, I'll take (laughs) 50-some. And you have a 25, 26-year-old, 27-year-old, 30-year-old at home. They don't have a job. They don't want a job. They just play video games all day. Don't want to do anything in their life. Are you going to keep giving them an allowance all the time? Yes or no? No. Why not? How could you be so mean? <laughs> Why will you not give them an allowance? Because you're ruining them, right? You are ruining people in this country. And some of you Christians don't get it. And I don't understand how you don't get it. You're ruining people in the greatest country in the world. It's Memorial Weekend. People gave their lives for freedom and opportunity. And we're just going to give them stuff so they don't have to do anything? That don't make sense to me, man. It don't make sense biblically either. Uh Uh-uh. I don't even know where I'm at in my notes. I just went off the map. But... I know my ending so let me go there okay okay it's about destiny you have a destiny Paul you're going to go to Rome you have a destiny you all have a destiny a God given destiny in Jesus Christ do you believe that or not okay good 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 so I'm going to walk up here so um, some of you have heard the story at least twice in the 31 years since I started this church you're going to hear it again. I don't know if it was the late 80s or early 90s. Um, yes, I was alive back then. <laughs> My wife and I, we had a barbecue. You know the barbecue. You have a barbecue in your record. You know, right? The igniter, after so many years, stopped working. So we had to light it with matches. Anybody ever have to do that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah right. We're going to start a small group later on, okay? <laughs> and so... My wife would tell me, you light it, Jim. Because she thought it was going to blow up. Oh, so you want me to light it? But let me give you the background to the statement. 
she believed, and she believed it, that if she lit it, it would blow up and kill her. But if I lit it, God's not done using me yet. I have this God destiny. It can't blow up. I cannot die yet. So this is my wife. I, I married a crazy woman. I know. But you know, she keeps it interesting. But it's a matter of destiny. She believed I have a destiny. Man, I wish I believed it as much as she believed it. But it is true of all of us. You can't die till your destiny in God is fulfilled, whether that's 35, 55, 18. I don't know why different years. I don't know. I'm not God. Don't ask me why. I don't know. But you have a destiny. Paul has a destiny. And he's still alive. And he's got to go talk to Nero. And once he talks to Nero, then it's done. Then it's done. Then they'll kill him. Historically, then they killed him after he did that but Jesus comes along in Paul's down time when Paul's down he speaks to him he says I'm with you all the time and there's still more in your future there's still a destiny and those are the three things that you and I need every time when we hit those flat times of life those ruts of life the what's going on God times of life the Lord everything I've tried hasn't worked God please and he comes along if we give him the time if we spend the time he'll come along and he'll do these things in our life and lift us up and out again amen let's pray thank you Lord Jesus thank you God I don't know who this, these things were for today if maybe all of us I don't know but I pray for you, friend. I pray for you, friend. Wherever you're at right now with, in your season of faith as a follower, if God needs to cheer you up, just spend the time with Him. He'll speak to you. Please grow with Him. Then you'll always know He's with you. And he'll reaffirm assignments or give new assignments, which leads to destiny. As a faithful follower, that's what Jesus will do for you. We thank you for this day, God. Thank you we live in a country where we have freedom because of lives that were given. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. amen. Would you stand it with me, everybody? Are you guys ready to speak out loud right now? because I remembered, okay? Here we go. Everybody out loud. Lord, keep me outward focused and fill me with your spirit. Give me the boldness to share the gospel with others. Open up opportunities to minister outside the church because I see what I'm looking for and make me into a generous person like you. Hey, God bless you guys. We'll see you soon or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.